Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. With years of experience in website management, Pantheon knows one thing for certain. Sites launched on its web ops platforms that are built and supported by agencies find more success. It's why Pantheon has invested in building a product and partner program that serves agencies first. It's a win-win-win for Pantheon, its agency partners, and their clients. Today, over 2,500 agencies partner with Pantheon to provide exceptional digital experiences for their clients. Learn more at pantheon.io slash adweek. That's pantheon.io slash adweek. You're listening to Yeah, that's probably an ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, and we are oh, we're fresh back from Cannes, uh, from the Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity. Uh, I'm a little hoarse. Uh, Doug, how are you doing? Um, you tell me. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see. We'll see how we do getting through this. My, right. it was funny. Like the last last day or two of the festival, I realized I had, I had lost like most of my my range of speaking voice, so I had to just lower my voice every time <laughs> I could mm-hmm. remember so people could actually hear anything I was saying. But other than that, uh, Sarah, you sound like you uh, came through it okay, though. Yeah, feeling feeling okay, though. I just said to Jameson here, I uh, feel like I'm hitting a wall, so we'll see how well I do as well. All right. So just to recap who all that is, we've got uh, Sarah Jurdy, a staff writer who covers the uh, digital media world. Uh, she is fresh back from Cannes, as is Doug Zanger, our senior editor on the agencies and creativity beat. And we're also joined by Jameson Fleming, chief of staff for the Adweek newsroom. Jameson, uh, thanks for joining us. You were you were not at Cannes. And actually, I thought it'd be really cool to have your perspective as someone who was kind of watching uh, all of this unfold while the while bunch of us were just running around like screaming and crazy so how are you doing i'm good i am fresh as a daisy because i (laughs) I was not traveling across an ocean so i'm I'm good to go here 
All right. Jameson will keep us keep us moving. Um, okay. Well, we are mostly here to recap uh, this year's Can Lions. Uh, we'll talk about the big winners, talk about some of the trends, uh, speakers we saw, celebrity run-ins, always fun to brag about, and uh, and, and just see. Uh, Sarah, first off, I wanted to start. This was your first Can Lions. We talked a bit about that in the preview episode, I believe. Uh, what did you think? Um, wow. It, uh, it was a whirlwind. Um, braced myself for just a crazy time of running around throughout can going to meeting to meeting and and to event to event and that's pretty much what it was um but i gotta say i had some of the best conversations i've had in, in this role as media reporter here at adweek i mean everyone was just i think really honest about where the industry is at and and willing to talk and even though a lot of the conversations were on the record they were really willing to just say some actual real substantial things which was really refreshing Oh, great. Last year's festival was, uh, as I believe we, we've discussed on this podcast, it was really uh, kind of a low point, I, I want to say, for the festival. Uh, turnout was down a lot with Publicis pulling out and a few others. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was quiet. Uh, like, like, just you didn't see a lot of big crowds. And I really felt like it had bounced back this year. The, the crowds were back. It was certainly packed everywhere I went. Doug, what did you think of this year's? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is where this festival will be now. I mean, I think that there was a big shakeout last year. I think that in years past, it may have been a little on the bloated side, but I think that this is this is where it'll be from here on out. And I actually think it's good. I think, you know, I think it was good to have a swoon and then get to a position where it's like, all right, let's work from this baseline and, and move forward. But I, I thought it was really productive. I think I think people are really starting to have um, you know, bigger discussions about not just what advertising is, but what impact advertising and communication in general can have on some pretty big problems in the world. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about some of those big problems because uh, that certainly came to a head uh, in a few different ways this year uh, with climate change, uh, which we'll, we'll be talking about and a few other issues. Jameson, what, did anything surprise you? You've been part of a lot of our conversations of planning uh, this year's Can Lions coverage and kind of ex- anticipating what we thought would be a big talker. Anything surprise you about what you saw coming out of Can? I think just from the standpoint of the work that won, it felt like this year there wasn't that like signature campaign where there was a, you know, this year there's some some work that, you know, one across a lot of categories, but it didn't feel like there was anything iconic this year that won as opposed to, you know, past years with Fearless Girl. And um, so that kind of surprised me that I feel like we're going to come away from this and we're not going to be like, oh, 2019 had that um, stand out as like the campaign. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're totally right. Um, there are years where Fearless Girls a great example. Uh, I, th- I think some of the most kind of classic ones are um, Dumb Ways to Die, uh, which uh, the train safety video that swept across many many categories. Chipotle's uh, the Scarecrow, uh, I believe it was called, and uh, you know there, there's a few like that uh, that just win. F- you know, five lions or five Grand Prix and dominate multiple categories. This year, I think I thought that was going to be Nike uh, and Dream Crazy featuring Colin Kaepernick. It did very, very well. Uh, Wyden was the uh, Wyden Kennedy was the uh, agency of the year. It was the uh, independent agency of the year. Uh, so they really dominated, and that's saying something this year because McCann uh, had a, a you know McCann did very well as a network, but McCann New York did a lot of great stuff. A lot of agencies. There was a lot of competition for for that. Um, 
But I, I, you know, I, I'd say that uh, Dream Crazy didn't do quite as well as a lot of people anticipated going in, and then did doing even better than expected was Whopper Detour, uh, which I think we all would, knew would do quite well. But it won three Grand Prix. Uh, this, of course, is the campaign from uh, FCB New York for Burger King, where they uh, gave you a one cent Whopper coupon, but you had to go to a uh, McDonald's to uh, to activate it. Uh, it was it was interesting, you know, the, across multiple categories, direct, mobile, uh, titanium. It ended up winning top prize in titanium. Uh, you know, the judges just really liked how it it fought against kind of every piece of common sense, right? That goes into marketing, like every rule of marketing. It broke them all. It's just like make it as bafflingly difficult as you can. I had people coming up to me all night at the last night um, of the festival, people from other countries asking me to explain Whopper Detour. <laughs> they were like, Good luck I do that. N- like, I do not get it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> but it you know, did really well. Uh, Fernando Machado from Burger King told us that uh, it had generated 4.5 million downloads of their app. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course had a big increase on sales and, and a bunch of other things, but when you're, when, you know, for a branded app, and that's something that a lot of brands are struggling with is, I don't know about you guys, I don't have many branded apps on my phone. Um, and so to get people to download those and then to use them for mobile ordering moving forward, that that's going to be the future of, of, you know, fast food and a food ordering. Uh, so quite a coup. Uh, so, you know, they, they definitely were one of the bigger winners. Doug, uh, it, what are some other kind of big winners that you saw uh, sticking out this year? Well, I mean, the New York Times. I mean, the work from Droga, uh, I thought was, I think we looked at that and we we thought that it was going to do well. I mean, to your, to your point, I mean, really there's, you know, there wasn't one huge winner, but I think if you take the sum of the Nike work, the Droga work for the New York Times and and Burger King. I mean, those those are three, you know, pretty pretty powerful, um, you know, pretty powerful campaigns and pretty powerful work. So I think you know you can look at it that way. Um, you know, I I just the New York Times stuff really just sticks with me because I feel like I'm going to be really interested to see where that goes from here. Um, I, we had a chance to speak with the client and the agency a little bit about what went what went into that and you know it it's something that is moving conversation and and it's i i don't know there was just something about it that was really beautiful and obviously i'm a fan of of what uh wyden did with with kaepernick and nike um but there's there's something about the new york times work that feels you know just as big and in some ways bigger uh i thought the glass lion that winner uh that winner was great. And and I think that, you know, we took a look at Viva La Volva. We, we knew that that would win a few things. Um, you know, I thought, I didn't think it was going to win glass. Uh, I wasn't actually 100% sure what was going to win glass. But uh, that winner, you know, pleasantly surprised me, um, I think. Um, yeah, the, this was the last issue, right? The last um, issue, right. Yeah, so this was one where a Polish uh, porn magazine was bought by a conglomerate of different groups that kind of worked together to buy it up and close it. Uh, and then yep. the last issue they put out was about uh, kind of how they felt men should really see women, how they should think about women and sex. Um, and basically, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, modern feminist uh, manifesto in, in a magazine that had traditionally been this incredibly uh, kind of lowbrow uh, porno publication that, that Poland had been reading for decades. Uh, so, yeah, I think people just like the, the judges just really like the audacity of that one. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and if you, I mean, that's that's a category that if you look if you look at it. 
I mean, that category with the winners and even on the short list, I mean, there's some really outstanding work that tackles a million, not, I mean, that's hyperbole, not a million, but, you know, so many different issues uh, that, you know, that, that category since its founding, uh, I think it was 2015 when it was founded, uh, you know, if you get a chance, look, look back at the winners, but also look back at, uh, you know, not necessarily just the Grand Prix and gold, but look at silver, look at bronze, look at even the short list, and you'll see all kinds of, of issues being, um, you know, issues being tackled. And that has to be, you know, really heartening for the agency community and the brand community to see that they're putting their superpowers in, in a lot of, you know, in a lot of good ways or putting it forth that way. Let's take a step back and listen to some of that interview uh, that Doug had with uh, the client and the agency, Droga 5 and the New York Times, from The Truth is Worth It. Uh, as Doug mentioned, this was a big winner. It won, uh, this is a very rare feat, actually. It won Grand Prix in film craft and film. And I know you might think that those are often overlap, but in my in my memory of, of Can, it has not happened. Uh, it's, it's pretty rare that you see something win, uh, one film win both of those categories. Uh, so let's listen to a little bit of that interview. You know, we worked really hard again to like work with the newsroom to do these stories justice, so much so that we're now seeing the newsroom pitch us stories for us to work into you know, new pieces of communication. The truth is worth it as a line. I think it's something that resonates deeply and emotionally and will live on for, for some time because I think it, the duality of it works really well. The fact that your dollars are going towards quality independent journalism, plus the idea that that quality independent journalism has real impact in society as two sort of sides of worth it, that I think we'll see that ideal continue as we move into sort of the next iterations of the campaign. Sarah, what, what really interested me this year is media really seemed to be a big part of so many things, right? Like we just talked about the New York Times. We talked about the last issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about uh, in, in, I think, in print and publishing, it was the blank front page at an Arabic newspaper uh, that was protesting mm-hmm. the lack of a, of a government in Lebanon. Um, I, I, did you get that sense on the ground that, that media really was kind of a, a key a key piece of this industry? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, and interesting, too, that print publishing also was such a big part of the conversation. You know, I'm used to going to, to conferences and having conversations so much now about the connected TV space, um, and which was still a big part of the discussion there, particularly um, with Hulu. I think they, they took up a, a great amount of space in the conversation. But um, it was kind of um, interesting and, and really rather cool to see print still have such a substantial place at the table. Um, and to see that award being recognized was was really great to see, too. Print, it's not dead, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> there, <laughs> there was even uh, one category where the big winner was uh, the tampon book from Schultz and Friends mm-hmm. uh, agency in Germany, where, uh, you know, kind of extension of the publishing, uh, print publishing. This was taking a uh, the fact that tampons are sold with a luxury tax of 17% or so in Germany, uh, whereas other products are only taxed at about 7%. So they made a book. Uh, and packed it with uh, tampons and then with a bunch of uh, articles and, and you know content around that too and around stigmas uh, and then sold it that way, not so much as a literal way to get around the tax as a way to raise awareness of what a dumb uh, system that was. <laughs> and it, it reportedly has sparked a... Uh, Legislation, proposed legislation in Germany that would uh, take away the, these, uh, you know, extreme taxes on vital, you know, products uh, like sanitary napkins and uh, you know, and tampons. Um, 
So, you know, it, it's really interesting seeing how publishing, how media played a role in, in so many of the campaigns that, that won really big. Did, what was the vibe you were getting, Sarah, from the uh, from the media industry folks that you talked to? And, and you know, do they generally seem optimistic about their fields? I mean, I'm going to guess yes. But, like, you know, <laughs> what, what kind of vibes were you were you getting from uh, the folks you, you met with? Yeah, I think everyone um, is going into this next year feeling pretty energized, um, which was which was pretty refreshing again to to hear as well. You know, we we always and I report on all these layoffs and when companies downsize, um, but I think a lot of these publications are going into this next year. You know, we're still in upfront season and those deals are still being made, um, but everything I've heard so far is is. Is pretty promising. Um, what I'm curious too to see as this year unfolds is how many of these publishing companies and these brands are going to partner on um, really, really cool print products too. Um, you know, the online landscape is so, uh, um, you know, so crowded. What are they going to be doing in person, whether that's um, brand activations or something to do in print to make themselves stand out? And I think the success that we saw among the award winners here this year is going to further inspire them to turn to, uh, funnily enough, a print product to get to get their message out there. Jameson, you know, I kind of picture you almost like a, a guy in the Matrix sitting there with like 20 different TV screens showing you every everything that was happening at Cannes this year. Along what, what with themes, the Phillies game going on in the background. Right. What, uh, what themes were you seeing uh, in terms of the articles that were coming through and the other stuff you were seeing, uh, you know, come out of Cannes this year? I think a big thing was, uh, you know, last year and really the last probably 18 months in the industry, Everybody's been talking about brand purpose, and those conversations were always just kind of vague and undefined. But it felt like this year the work that really resonated in Cannes showed brand purpose in a way that uh, was actually defined, that brands knew what they wanted to do, and they found effective ways to communicate that. And it, it seemed uh, you know, to show up in a lot of work that won, but also a lot of conversations that happened, a lot of news that came out out of there with the, uh, you know, the ex- Extinction Rebellion protests. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it just, it just finally felt like the conversation was turning to being something meaningful with brand purpose that brands were actually figuring out instead of going, yeah, we need to do something. I don't, I don't know what, but eventually we'll figure it out and we'll hopefully do it, do it in a way that feels genuine and Seems like they are finally. Yeah, yeah. You know, a real highlight for me was getting to meet Alfonso Cuaron, the director uh, who uh, most recently made Roma, and he was there presenting about how for Roma he partnered from a really early point in wanting to tell this story about his uh, his housekeeper basically growing up. Um, you know that he wanted to have a partner in the advocacy world for domestic workers. Uh, these women, especially in Mexico, but also in America, don't really have um, you know, any kind of safety net, any, any sort of benefits. Uh, and so he really wanted this movie to be um, an, a semi-autobiographical movie, uh, but then also um, you know, a big piece of advocacy uh, work for these women. And uh, and so he partnered with a group uh, that had that in mind. Screen, uh, you know, the 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 organization he worked with, uh, Participant Media, uh, they really supported him through all this and really wanted it to be part of you know an advocacy project as well. But the big theme that he had at Cannes, uh, he was talking about, was you know find a partner and build content with them, build something with them from day one. Uh, don't do what marketers have always done, which is build something. And then at the last minute, go find a nonprofit that kind of matches, 
you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little close, and then just bolt them on, like, and say, we'll give 10 cents for every, you know, thing of this we sell, even though we're just going, we're going to donate the same amount of money no matter what. So, you know, but we're going to say it's 10 cents per roll of toilet paper. So you'll go buy this toilet paper. Uh, you know, he, I, I thought that was a really great point. And I think to, to your point, Jameson, that's something we're seeing uh, more of, uh, you know, Doug, you, you were having a lot of these conversations too about purpose uh, and how it's coming across and whether brands are getting more legitimate about how they approach cause marketing, maybe a little less tokenistic. Uh, you know, wh- wh- how did you come out of the festival feeling? Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to say at this point, it's too early. It still feels like there's quite a bit of purpose washing going on right now. And I, I don't know if there's, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a, an objective way to take a look at it and say, all right, well, this, this brand or this agency, they're, they're just doing this just to get some attention and not really focus on purpose. Um, no, I, I think that there was a, there's a fatigue on it. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that's generally a theme, uh, you know, whether that's greenwashing, whether, you know, put in, <laughs> put in a, put in a, you know, prefix and add washing to it. You know, that's, that's something that's just been part of the industry for a long time. Uh, but I also think that people are acknowledging that the stakes are much higher now where we, we don't necessarily have the luxury of, of not making it count. Um, so I think that, I think that brands and agencies understand their responsibility and, now comes the era of not just talking about it, but demonstrating it and proving it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it really felt 50, 50 where there was some fatigue, but I think therein lies, you know, a problem, but also an opportunity to definitively figure out what purpose actually means. And in the truest sense where it is actually making an impact instead of, just continuing to perpetuate a, a circular conversation, which is something that tends to happen in this industry in the first place. Just to jump in here real quick, um, it seemed like from a lot of the conversations that are happening on the ground, as you mentioned, this was my first time there. So um, I don't know if this is any different than previous years, but it seemed like so much of the conversation was about diversity and inclusion, um, but that a lot of people were having more frank conversations about where we are as an industry. Um, I mean, so did that feel different for you guys to hear those conversations happening? Does it seem like we're now at a point of action instead of just addressing the issue in, in panel discussions? God, I hope so. I mean, I think Inkwell Beach being there in the first place was a huge plus because before diversity, inclusion, and equality was generally the domain of, you know, things that were, you know, it, it was in, you know, one session here and there. It was, it was more selective. I think mm-hmm. the fact that Inkwell Beach was there was a huge, huge plus. And I think that my hope is that 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 beach becomes as big as Google Beach or Twitter Beach or Facebook Beach. Because once you make it that big and that, um, you know, obvious and present, then you can't ignore it. And, um, you know, my, my hope is, is that next year, and this was their first year, and by all accounts, it was, you know, it was well received, but the challenge a lot of times, whether it's, you know, no matter what it is in diversity, inclusion and equality is that over the years, and at least in my experience, it's been the same people talking to each other. Now, the trick with this is making sure that we're getting the C-suite in there and making sure mm-hmm. that, you know, instead of, instead of, you know, going to see that, 
no offense to programmatic, but, you know, going to see that programmatic session over on Facebook beach that people are now taking the time to go speak with, with leaders from different, you know, different backgrounds so that they can understand what real diversity, inclusion and equality and what its success can engender, um, you know, really can be. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that it sends a big signal with Inkwell Beach, but that just needs to continue to expand and grow. Yeah, I, I think what Inkwell probably learned too is that you know it's a, it's a great. This is a it's just so wonderful to have a, a physical hub mm-hmm. for uh, you know for people of color and and people from all sorts of different you know because it is a very white festival and yep. that's that's staggering in that this is a global festival and it's one where ostensibly it should. Uh, reflect the diversity of the planet, not just, you know, because diversity does mean a lot of different things in different countries. And we think of it through an American lens. um, And, you know, it's somewhat similar in the UK. uh, But then you get into, you know, what diversity means in, in, uh, you know, in Asian markets and African markets. And so you would think that that kind of that panoply of, of uh, you know, would be re- represented, but it, it's really not. Um, and so I think Inkwell is, is a tremendous start. Um, but your first year at at something like Can is always going to be a little, uh, not to say disappointing, but a little like, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time thinking, oh, man, I just I wish more people had turned out. I wish more people cared about this. It'll get a lot bigger and it, yeah. it'll it'll scale really fast. And that's why I was most excited about that. I was just like, just stick with it. Just stick with it. Like the more people know about this, yep. the more they prioritize it going in. Because what happens is, like all of us here, you know, we we all planned our week maybe too much. I, I overplanned myself. I didn't leave myself enough, you know, enough flexibility as I heard about things to go see them. Yeah. And I think I think that happens to a lot of people. And so next year, uh, you'll know about some of these things earlier, and you'll be able to go uh, really make a difference. But let let's let's talk climate change uh, because so what happened here? Just to recap is. As Jameson mentioned, a group called uh, Extinction Rebellion, uh, based in London, they staged a series of protests, uh, most visibly on the on the red carpet, uh, and got arrested there, detained at least. Uh, there were reportedly around a dozen of them. Uh, they were outside the Doug. You saw them outside the the final award show, right? Yeah, they were singing uh, in French, and my French isn't good enough to understand what they were singing, but <laughs> they were singing. And uh, I, I believe there was something on the beach too. Uh, you know, security was very high. From what I heard, the security uh, that that it was more about. I mean, take this with a grain of salt, but there was more about the local government, city government, uh, really has a very zero tolerance approach to protesters uh, with, with festivals like Can and that Can itself. From what I heard, was just kind of like, hey, you know, like we'll bring it in. We'll we'll have these discussions on site, but it's really not up to them to decide. You know, who gets arrested and and who doesn't. Um, again, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, didn't get a, a lot of detail on that. But what it did do, I mean, it accomplished exactly what the protesters uh, were hoping to accomplish. It sparked a lot more discussion about climate change in a year where I really felt like there was no discussion of climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, lo- you, you look at the urgency of this topic. It's not reflected in the winners, right? Uh, there was one winner in um, what's called the Sustainable Development Goals Alliance, the SDG, which is kind of supposed to meet these greater UN goals. And it was a really cool idea, uh, you know, which is basically just asking these media companies, uh, man, I'd love, Doug, I may need your help remembering this, but it's like if you have an animal in your logo, they want you to donate a percent of your media spend to to saving that animal or saving yeah. all animals? Uh, it, well, the the donation goes yeah it goes to uh, it goes to organizations that are that are trying to save an ecosystem or a species or yeah so it it feels like it's a little spread out but 
you know, there, there's no one, I mean, there's some anchor organizations, obviously, but I think the, the goal with that was to, to be very, to be very specific and to be very thoughtful about where, you know, where that money would go. And it was something like 0.5%, which I mean, is that enough? That's right. It's 0.5. Yeah. Is that enough? I mean, it's, you know, and that, and that's really, those are some of the other issues that, that we have to struggle with where it's like, okay, well, you know, how much is that? It's, you know, it's nice to hear a percentage, but I think where I am with everything is, I'd, I'd actually like to hear what that number is. Is it 12 bucks? Is it $12 million? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, and, and so, you know, at the final press conference of the week, uh, we kind of posed this question to the jury presidents about, uh, is the, do you really think the festival is doing enough? Uh, do you really think the industry is doing enough? Of course they said no, but it, but it did spark some really good conversations around what the industry could be doing. And several people said, I hope this is the key theme of next year's uh, can you know? And several people point out. I think it was per, uh, per Peterson uh, at Gray told me, you know, if if this is what it takes to get people to look up from their rosé, they're like, right. you know, the, with the yachts in the distance and the helicopters flying overhead, and take a second mm-hmm. to say, you know, maybe this isn't great. <laughs> you know? Well, here's 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 the thing about the sustainable goals. There, there's 17 of them. So what I'd like to see, and you know, climate clearly is in there, but there there are seventeen, you know, seventeen goals overall. You know, I would love to see, I would love to see, you know, holding companies and individual agencies take a percentage of their time and their effort to tackle one of them, because what ends up happening is everything just seems so overwhelming, right? And you know, even with the sustainable goals, there's seventeen of them. So, you know, if you're sitting there looking at them in, you know, in the hole, you're just sitting there going, oh, how are we going to do this? But I would love to see the industry figure out a way where whether it's, you know, IPG is going to tackle this and Omnicom is going to tackle this and Havas will do this. So I would love to see I would love to and I'd love to see independents come together. I would love to figure out a way for groups of agencies and really big thinkers to be able to tackle one of those issues and then to figure out a way to stitch them all together. That's how I think, and I, and I think it does need to be led by the UN. I think you, you get that support, then you actually have some structure around it instead of us all running around willy-nilly trying to figure out what to do. That way we can get ourselves to a point where we can actually demonstrate that we're making some progress on something. That's what I'd like to see. All right, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and then we come back. We're going to keep talking. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that surprised us about uh, this year's festival. We will be right back. Thanks again to this week's sponsor, Pantheon. Websites are one of the most important brand assets. Whether you're building a new site for a client or managing multiple sites, Pantheon is your partner in success. More than 2,500 agencies trust Pantheon's web ops platform to power their clients' websites and deliver best-in-class digital experiences. Learn more at pantheon.io slash adweek. That's pantheon.io slash adweek. All right, we're back. Uh, Sarah, as we mentioned, this was your first can uh, experience. What surprised you about it? Um Two big things, I guess, um, kind of surprised me. One, like I mentioned, the candid conversations that you're able to have with people on the ground there. I mean, I had some of the best discussions I've had since being in this role, and I don't know whether the rosé or the beautiful views were due to that. Um, 
but people were actually really just willing to give you a genuine look at um, our industry. And then secondly, I, I guess I didn't realize how relevant I think can still is to the industry. You know, being there, it means something. Um, and it's it it feels not only, you know, just from a brand standpoint that you, you have to be there to participate in that discussion, but that you're still able to have good conversations and um, still be part of the broader discussion that can still is a relevant place to be and um, does have this long-standing legacy behind it. And I, you know, didn't really have that sense going into it. You know, one thing that I remember surprised me when I went maybe five, six years ago is my first one. And I really thought it was going to be very... um, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, like uh, f- fancy, I guess is what I was going to say. Um, you know, that that like I pictured it being, oh, the rich people hang out over here on the yachts and they all wear these really nice suits and, and dresses. And then the, you know, and I, I felt like, oh, I'm going to look like a complete schlub when I get there. Um, and then the reality is a can is actually a surprisingly powerful equalizer. Uh, you know, everyone's kind of in all the same places. People generally dress the same just because it's kind of hot as hell. And so nobody's really going to wear like really crazy outfits. Everyone's pretty much at the same kinds of parties. I, I just I mean, maybe this is naive. I just don't feel like you can really tell without yeah. knowing. You can't yeah. tell who are the who are the, like the important people and who aren't because like Martin Sorrell <laughs> sitting there hanging out with, like right next to junior copywriters and everyone's just kind of throwing the mix. I don't know. Did you notice that, Sarah? Or was it, I don't know. What'd you think? Yeah, no, totally. Everyone is extremely accessible. Um, and I think I think the heat has a lot to do with it. I mean, you're not going to wear a three piece suit. You're going to wear as little as possible just because to survive, you know. Um, but that being said, you really kind of have to know faces and you have to know who's who to um, distinguish them from the crowd because everyone is pretty much everywhere all the play- all the time. The the real absolute highlight for me uh, was an event we hosted. We, we co-hosted with Invisible Creatives, uh, which is an organization that uh, we have featured on the podcast, but they uh, was started by Laura Visco, uh, who we interviewed at Cannes last year. Uh, she and a woman named Maddie Kramer, they're both uh, excellent creatives. Uh, and they formed this group to basically give young female creatives, or not so much young, it's just like rising female creatives, to give them the same kind of platforms that senior creatives get in terms of like Adweek writes a big feature about you know a senior creative or someone will profile them. You don't do that with ACDs, with copywriters. And so they wanted to give them that level of, of visibility. And we partnered with them to host a networking reception uh, for women who came to Cannes. We had put out a call for agencies to send uh, these rising female creatives to Cannes. We ended up getting 30 or 40 uh, RSVPs for this event. Uh, we had a great turnout. But, but what really impressed me was that I reached out to a bunch of um, senior women in creative leadership or in agency leadership, uh, Katrine Debo at the, uh, she was the president, the global president of Media Arts Lab, Apple's ad agency. Uh, she showed up, you know, and every, everyone I reached out to, to the point of that we we're just making about kind of how can, can equalize things. You had these, uh, these copywriters and art directors hanging out with the global president of a major agency, plus recruiters from all around the world and managing directors from Sao Paulo, uh, and Shanghai, uh, really tremendous turnout, really great geographic representation, uh, and you know it was a it was a relatively small event in the sense that we we only opened it up to forty or fifty people, but tremendous turnout really sparked a lot of great connections, and just I'm so excited to see you know three years from now hearing the stories about connections that were made there, like what what did they generate? 
you know, what, what came out of that. Uh, so for me, that was one going into it. I was like, I don't know how that's going to go. Should be really interesting. Uh, but it was even better than I expected. And just seeing those connections get made uh, both side to side, you know, peers meeting, but then also people connecting with leaders from around the world. Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, Jameson, what uh, do you have any questions about kind of what it was really like over there versus kind of to, to the point we were just talking about, like your expectations or maybe your how you envision it versus how it really is on the ground? I mean, I think what I'm kind of curious about is more just the, I guess the the attitudes of the you know the agency people there. I mean, what how do they view Can as like how do they measure whether Can was successful to them? I mean, because they're obviously spending so much money uh, to be over there. So I'm always just kind of curious if you can get a vibe of, you know, what what an agency is you know truly getting out of being you know over there in Can spending all this money. I saw a study today that like 10% of the people who go to Cannes view it as a vacation as opposed to, you know, actually doing work over there. So, you know, I've always been curious, you know, if the conversations you're having with people over there, can you get a vibe of what what they're actually getting out of the event and, uh, you know, how serious they're taking it? They, they, uh, they, they take it very seriously. I mean, you know, in the cumulative, you have one show, you have DNAD, you have, you know, name an award, but can is really the big one. And I know that there is an age old argument of whether or not awards matter. They do. I mean, they do. It, it, it helps an agency tell their story. Uh, I think additionally, we've seen more brands and clients go over. So this is actually a really nice opportunity to strengthen a lot of those relationships and deepen them. Also to create new relationships uh, with other brands and, you know, and, and other uh, potential clients. So, you know, I, I, again, I think that you can go back to the argument of, you know, the, the cynic would say that, that awards don't matter. But the reality is, is that if you can demonstrate excellence from peers over a sustained period of time, uh, a brand would look at that and say, you know, I think I at least want to sit down and talk to them because clearly they, they know what they're doing. Uh, and if, if an agency is able to back that up with genuine results, then, you know, I, th I think that's, you know, I think that's really critical. Um, you know, I, I think the, the thing that I would actually just like to see agencies do more of, and it's a much deeper conversation than, than today is that, you know, what ended up, what ends up happening at Cannes is, you know, you see the big Twitter beach, you see the big Facebook beach, Google beach, you see Accenture with their, you know, billboard, you know, you start, you start seeing all of these places where the narrative gets taken away from the importance and power of agencies. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is if you look at the, all of the winners, you take a look at uh, not all the winners, but most of them, you know, these are, these are agencies. And so they're going to be able to, to point to the fact that they are creating work that is meaningful for brands. And this allows them to reclaim a bit of the narrative. Um, and again, these are things that we're going to look at a, a little bit more in this beat is, you know, how, how do agencies regain control of that narrative that they may have been losing over the past few years? Yeah, I think one thing I noticed this year, and this is probably just more to do with my age uh, and where, where I am in my own career, is that a lot of my friends who uh, who do go to Cannes have been, in the past, have been creative directors. You know, that's a role where you, you work really hard to get to. And then if you, if you make it beyond creative director, uh, that's when you're really kind of entering the upper echelons of creative leadership. And I had two two friends this uh, this year who have gotten boosted to ECD, you know, executive creative director. 
And they were telling me how not fun it was <laughs> this year because when you hit that level, suddenly your schedule changes dramatically. Uh, you're in meetings constantly with clients, uh, with uh, you know who knows what else. You're you're on juries. I mean, that's you're right. on a lot more juries. But you know, it was really interesting because they were just saying, "Oh, this used to be fun. Like when you're when you're a creative director, you you go to Cannes and you just kind of get to do whatever the agency needs you to do, like to be at their major events or whatever. But other than that, you get a lot of time. Uh, you know, I, I doubt they would vocally call it a vacation, um, but it's pretty good. And then they were all just like, "Oh man, you, you get to be an, an executive, and suddenly it is meetings, meetings, just constant meetings." Uh, and and to, to Doug's point, of course, the awards don't hurt, you know, that uh, a lot of agencies w- really do hang their their relevance, for better or worse, on their on their award tally. Uh, in that respect, I think we were all really impressed with FCB. You know, FCB did uh, Whopper Detour, which was certainly one of the biggest winners of the year. But this is an agency that buys that. Well, I don't. They buy it, but they, you know, they have a yacht every year. Like not many agent, not many agencies have a yacht, right? And so FCB's always had a yacht. And some years I've been like, I don't know, is that is that smart? Like, is this agency really doing so much at, at you know, at Can that it really merits having a yacht this year? I'm just surprised that the yacht didn't sink from all the damn trophies sitting on it. You know, they just kept winning so many. And so they were, they, they really did have that relevance, the visibility. Uh, they're going to go home with a much stronger reputation, uh, yeah. phenomenally stronger reputation than they did going into it. Uh, and whereas someone like Wyden and Kennedy, you know, they're like, they, they look great going into it. They look great coming out of it. They could have lost every major category and still been Wyden and Kennedy. I, I don't think it would have upset them one way or the other. <laughs> You know, and the other thing too, David, is, is, is it to your point about FCB New York? I mean, you go into these, you know, you start winning, and, and again, it's not just can. It's it's the one show. It's DNAD for Eastern Europe. It's the Golden Drum. You know, you you, you build confidence with that. So so the awards show confidence, but the the you know outside of that, it helps build a great deal of confidence. And then if you if your talent is excited to work on things that they know are going to win awards and that are that are beneficial and helpful for building a client's business that can't do anything but, but build confidence. And that's a, that's a, that cannot be understated. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, so, so yeah, a long way of saying that I, I think that if you can come back saying either you won a bunch of awards or uh, you made a lot of great contacts with clients, potential clients, uh, then those are probably the two ways to kind of quantify victory. Uh, Sarah, with the people you were meeting with, what did you get the sense of for them? Was it, were they out closing deals or was this largely just a let's find good partners? How are they going to go back and kind of declare victory on this? Both. So a lot of the, at least on the media side of things, um, like I said, the upfront deals were still in the middle of that. So um, a lot of those good discussions were being had there, a lot of deals being made there. And then um, a lot of conversations from what I was hearing start at Cannes. So whether that's future partnerships with brands um, or future creative things that they're going to be doing with agencies, all of those conversations are now coming back and they're going to have them here in New York or on the West Coast. Um, but a lot of it surprisingly starts there. Well, we are out of time for today's episode. Uh, drop us a note if you have any questions or your own thoughts. If you're at Cannes uh, we didn't get to talk to you, uh, send us a note at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Jameson, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. And uh, Sarah and Doug, uh, great job out there. Sarah, especially, uh, I know that your first year at Cannes is always uh, just insane. Uh, and you were, uh, you were cranking out great coverage. So I encourage everyone to check it out. But uh, great job out there. Thanks, Griner. 
All right, we will. Um, I don't think we might take next week off for the Fourth of July holiday, but other than that, we'll be back soon. If you did not get a chance to go back and listen to our bonus interview episodes from Can, uh, you should do that. Uh, three really fun conversations we had there, and uh, covered a lot of ground that we didn't even get to touch on today. Uh, but so, so check that out. We'd appreciate it. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this week's episode was produced by Josh Rios and uh, edited by Lane McGibney. We will be back uh, soon. Talk to you more. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.